I love worshiping outside. Like I love hearing your voices. Like I was talking about, just looking up into the clouds, looking at God's sun, just embracing the goodness of that. And we're all going to pray right now that the wind, God's wind, also just like slows down just a little bit. So you guys can help me. You guys okay with me right now? All right. So being outside like this reminds me that I'm often not really outdoors very much. Like I don't take a lot of time just to look at what God has made because I, uh, I sleep inside. I'm sure most of you guys do sleep inside, right? We spend a lot of our times in cars. I personally work indoors. And so, so much of my life is inside. But I was thinking this past week, that that is so different than the way that Jesus and his disciples live. Because if you read the Gospels, they are constantly walking outside for a long time from city to city, able to see God's creation and the beauty of all he's made. And some of those journeys that they took were incredibly long. They would walk for miles and miles. They were getting their steps in, right? They're going on these long journeys. And one of those long journeys is where we're actually going to start this morning. And so that's where we're going to dive into God's Word. We're going to look at this long journey that Jesus takes with his disciples. But before we open God's Word, would you just pray with me? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we come before you today in the midst of your creation, just desiring to worship you. Lord, I pray that as I speak, you would open up all of our hearts to your truth and to your Word, that we'd be impacted by who you are, and that it would then transform the way that we live our lives. God, I just ask right now in this moment that your spirit would fill me with your power. Because I know, Lord, if it's just my words, nothing's really going to happen here. I want what you want. So um, use me to speak clearly and then speak to each individual heart here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So Mark chapter 7 is where we're going to be. If you have your Bibles, you can open those up to Mark chapter 7. And we are going to be in verse 31. Now, as you're finding it, I have a question for you. How many people here are, uh, you're, you're a person who likes to get somewhere the quickest way possible? Like, you're like a direct shoot, you know, okay, look, lots of hands. Not as many hands on this side. Anybody over here? Anybody who wants to get there? Okay, okay, lots of hands, good. So that is how I am. And I feel that there is this, like, desperate need in me to get somewhere as fast as possible. I am not someone who likes to take the long route. I'm not someone who likes to figure it out. I don't want to take wrong turns. I don't really like the scenic drive. I like to go straight to it. And if you are like me, then we would have a really hard time following Jesus the way that he led his disciples. Because what's so interesting is that Jesus doesn't ever seem to place a high value on efficiency. Going somewhere on time, and time itself doesn't ever seem to be a huge thing for Jesus. And I want to prove it to you from Mark chapter 7, verse 31. This is where we're diving in today. It says, Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. Now, in Nebraska in 2022, Tyre and Sidon, and Decapolis, they mean absolutely nothing to us. And we're outside, so I can't show you a map. So I want to explain to you Jesus's route like this, okay? So he's going from Tyre to Sidon to the Decapolis. So imagine that you are standing in Ashland, 
and he is going to go north, north, about 23 miles. He's going north. He's going north 23 miles. He passes by Utan, almost gets to Valley, and then he decides to go east, okay? So now he's going east, and he's walking towards Omaha, and then he slightly turns a little bit south. So now we're just south of Omaha. We're hitting Ralston. We're keeping on that line. We're going to hit about Bellevue. Then we're going to go straight south all the way to Nebraska City. That is basically what Jesus did. It's crazy the route that he took. And so what we need to see is he went about 20 miles north so that he could go about 60 miles southeast. And some commentators estimate that this trip could have taken him weeks with his disciples to get to the region of the Decapolis. A lot of walking. It definitely wasn't the shortest route. So the question becomes, why would Jesus do that? And now I researched a lot, I read a lot of commentaries, looked at a lot of biblical theologians, and the reason why Jesus did this is no one has any idea. Like, no one has any clue why Jesus would take this route. The only thing that seemed somewhat realistic to me was what I found from this this professor at a a Christian college uh, called Regent College out in Vancouver, Canada. And her name's Carolyn Edwards. And what she said is, It's worth noting that Jesus' way of doing his Father's will often seemed to defy productivity models and baffle his disciples. He seldom took the fastest way anywhere, preferring circuitous routes that gave him more time with his friends, his disciples. And then listen to this. He was eminently interruptible, particularly by children and outcasts. That's the way Jesus did it. You know, it was more about the people and where he than where he was going. So for whatever reason, the disciples spend weeks walking with Jesus and going miles with him, and they end up in this region called the Decapolis. So Decapolis means ten cities. It means ten cities. And this was kind of about the area where uh, Jesus had cast out the legion of demons back in Mark chapter 5. And one thing that we also need to understand about this place is that it was another Gentile territory. And again, Gentiles were people that they didn't didn't follow Jewish laws or customs. They weren't Jewish themselves, and they did not worship the Lord. But it is here that Jesus ends up with his disciples, and he is interrupted with another need. So chapter 7, verse 32, it says this, And they brought to him a man who was deaf, and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. So let's talk about this man for a minute. This man's situation, especially in his context, would have been incredibly difficult. And I want to be really sensitive here. Like I myself, I'm not hearing impaired. I don't have any family members that are deaf. But I have interacted with multiple deaf people. And in my limited understanding, to be deaf in 2022 definitely would have its challenges. And I don't want to minimize the isolation that the deaf community experiences. But today, there are so many more opportunities for deaf people. I mean, there are schools fully devoted to deaf and hearing impaired people. They experience community. They can communicate through a highly developed sign language. And there's also great technology which allows them to communicate even with people that don't know sign language through emails and even typing something in text and you can show it, right? 
But this was not at all the case 2,000 years ago. Today, we live in this world that is visual and written, but he lived in a world that was oral and auditory. That was his culture. And to not be able to hear or speak would have completely cut this man off from his community. Like he had a very primitive way of communicating, but he wouldn't be able to like actually express what was going on inside of his heart. And we have to see this. He was only able to communicate like simple messages, but not thoughts or feelings or worries that he had inside of him. We see that this man most likely lived a very isolated life at this point in history. So Jesus, he enters into this man's region and this man's family or friends, they've all heard of Jesus. They know what Jesus can do. Again, this is not far from where Jesus did all of his miracles. And so his friends, they say, we're going to take this one shot to get this man to the one man that might be able to heal him, which is Jesus. And so that is what they do. Now, verse 33, let's see what he does. After taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. Interesting. Interesting. There's a lot to break down here, but first, let's actually just set the scene of what is happening. People are crowding around Jesus. They've heard of the miracles. They are there to see something spectacular. They want to see a show. And here's this man who is deaf and unable to speak, and he is just thrust in front of Jesus. But yet, what does Jesus do? He stops, connects personally with this man, and he pulls him away privately. He pulls him away from the crowd. And this is the first thing that I want us to understand today, is that Jesus was so intentional with this man. Just think about this man again. He was most likely one who was ignored and overlooked in his society. Like, unfortunately, even in our society today, when we have all technology, ways to communicate with people, still people who are deaf or blind or mentally or emotionally um, disabled are often overlooked and ignored. And I don't think it's because people are being mean. I think it's really because sometimes we just don't know how to communicate with someone who is different than we are. We don't know how to communicate with someone that doesn't speak or hear like we do. So often we don't even end up trying. So sadly, many people today like this are still overlooked. And I know in my own heart, I've done this. Like I've, I've wanted to talk to someone but I don't know what to do and I don't want to make it awkward. I don't know how it's going to go. And so I don't do it. Now, if that is still happening today in the world that we live in, think about how much more that would have happened for this man 2,000 years ago. And we have to understand that. It is so important for us to see that because it makes what Jesus does to this man so incredibly beautiful. He doesn't overlook him. He doesn't ignore him, but he engages with him. So he takes time with this guy, even pulls him away from the crowd. He doesn't want to make him a spectacle. He wants to pull him away from the crowd so he can just be with him. He is showing intentionality with the man that I believe honors him in a way that he may not have experienced before. Jesus intentionally takes time with him. So Jesus gets away with the man. Then what does he do? Well, we've read that he puts his fingers in his ears and he spits and he touches his tongue. How many, does that seem odd to anyone else? 
Is that is that how you greet people you don't know? No. <laughs> that seems very, very strange. I was talking to my life group this past week, and we were talking about this passage and talking about this upcoming message. And one guy, you know, after we read this section of scripture, he said, seems like Jesus gave the guy a divine willy, <laughs> you know, which I don't think is what Jesus was going for. But it brings up this idea that this is so odd. Why would Jesus do this? What was going on? Well, let's think about this for a minute. This was not Jesus's normal way of dealing with people. And Jesus didn't need to do this. If you were here last week, Jesus healed this little girl who was possessed by a demon, and he did it without laying his hands on her. He did it without even laying his eyes on her because the girl wasn't even in the same room with Jesus. Her mom was the only one that's there, and he looks at the mom and just says, go home. The demon's gone. That's it. So Jesus can just heal with a word. So why does he do this? Now, again, I was researching a lot of different things and different biblical commentators. They have different ideas. And one of the things that I came across was that some people think that there was this belief in the Greco-Roman world and in the Jewish society that spittle, that spit, had some therapeutic function. Now, I don't know. That feels like a lot of speculation to me. Because what I really believe that Jesus is doing is he is, again, being incredibly personal with this man. I actually think that this was Jesus caring enough to explain to the man that I'm about to heal you in the only way that this man can understand. So think about it like this. I just imagine Jesus, he's getting this guy away, and he's just standing before this guy, and he, you know, he's like, puts his fingers in his ears, and he's like, you know, we're, I'm going to heal this. I know this is the work. I'm going to heal this. And then he spits and he touches the man's tongue. He's like, this, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. But I'm going to heal you so that you can speak. I think what Jesus is doing here is just really primitive sign language, getting on the man's level and speaking to him and showing care in a way that he understands. And I think, again, when he does this, it is really honoring this man and giving him dignity. He's getting right with this man and explaining to him in the way that he can understand, which is something that most people wouldn't do. So let's go on. Verse 34. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphtha, that is, be opened. So Jesus, again, he engages with this man in a way that he can understand to say, I'm going to heal your ears. I'm going to heal your tongue. And then he looks up to heaven. And I think what Jesus is again doing here is he said, I'm going to heal you. But then he's saying, you know, I'm healing you, but the power is coming from God. The power to heal you is coming from God. And I think he's explaining that to the man again. And then Mark adds this really interesting detail that just says he sighs. Mark put that in there, that he sighs. So why did he sigh? Again, like through my research, you know, some commentaries, they say lots of things. One commentary said that this must have been a super hard miracle to do. So Jesus was just like, Ugh! It doesn't make any sense to me. 
doesn't make any sense to me because so far in the gospel of Mark, Jesus has been healing person after person of their disease, whatever it is. Again, when Jesus heals the man who had the legion of demons, the man runs to him, falls down at his feet because the demons realize that Jesus is the ultimate powerful authority over everything. Jesus can do miracles. And I don't think here he's like, well, this is a really tough one. I got to try really hard. Jesus is fully man, but fully God over all things. So I don't think that it was hard. I think there was another reason why he sighed. And this is what I think it was. I think he sighed because he had such incredible compassion for a suffering man, for this suffering man. Let me explain it like this. Uh, Last week, I was sitting in her house. My wife, Jess, uh, came home, and she was talking to a woman on the phone, and I could just tell something wasn't good. And so then she gets off the phone, and then she just says to me that one of our, our friends, her husband, died in a tragic accident. Um, and they only had one son, and he was young, and now this little boy has to grow up without his dad. And when I heard it, I just felt so sad, like hearing about what's going on. I didn't really know what to say. And I was just like, you know, like that just hurts when you hear something like that, right? And I think that that is what Jesus is doing here. I think Jesus had so much compassion for the man that when he's standing in front of him and he's just looking at the man and he's connecting with the man and he's engaging with the man, I think he just feels the weight of the man's pain and he sighs. Um, Pastor Tim Keller, he's maybe a pastor that some of you have heard, in his message on this exact same passage, he refers to Jesus as the sighing Savior. He calls Jesus the sighing Savior, and he goes on to explain that in this one little line in the book of Mark, we really understand what Emmanuel means, what it means that God is with us. When we see Jesus sigh, we understand what it means that God is with us. What he's saying is that God is with us in our pain and in our suffering. God was with this man and all the hurt that was in his heart. And God will be with us in whatever we are going through. That's what Jesus was doing in scripture. It says God is close to the brokenhearted. Scripture says we can cast all of our cares on God because he cares for us. And I think right here in this little line, we actually get to see what God's care looks like. It looks like engagement. It looks like intentionality. And it sounds like a big, deep sigh of compassion. This is what Jesus is doing for the man. So Jesus, he looks up to heaven, he sighs and says, be open. And he uses their, their Aramaic language that they would have spoken in that region. And then verse 5, let's see what happens. 7.35. And his ears were open and his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. I think we can read that sometimes in the Bible and then we're just like, wow, that's awesome. We'll move on. But just think about that. I picture what may this have been like? What would it be like to all of a sudden hear? What would it be like to go from seeing birds fly to actually hearing that bird now chirp? What would it be like to like seeing the wind move the leaves and move around the branches to all of a sudden hearing the rustling of the leaves? What would that be like? What would it be like to all of a sudden hear music? 
hear someone singing. I think the look on this man's face just must have been amazing. Uh, I saw this viral video a few years ago. Maybe you guys have seen it too, but it's of this woman who was born deaf. And then because of this new technology, uh, with this implant, she's able to hear for the first time. Have you guys, has anyone seen that? If you haven't, I would go check it out. I watched it again this week because you see this woman and she's, you know, in a doctor's office and she's right there. And then, you know, she's listening. And then all of a sudden you can tell she starts to hear something. And then this just like huge smile breaks out on her face. And then immediately she just starts crying and she's just like, overjoyed and she can't just so so many emotions at hearing it and she's like laughing but crying at the same time and she hears her own voice and then the nurse is like do you want to hear what your husband sounds like and he talks and it's just like amazing what would it have been like for this man what would his reaction have been like and then scripture says that he spoke plainly it doesn't say that he was finally able to get out a word but that he went from unintelligible speech to speaking full sentences and so now this man his ears have been opened and his tongue can speak and so he can actually hear the deeper thoughts and the worries and the feelings and the fears of others and not only can he hear them, but he can vocalize what's in his own heart. He can actually speak out the things that he's been thinking and saying and worrying about and feeling and wondering about. He can now speak that out. So what kept him from having real community is now completely broken because he can hear and now he can speak. But what I want us to see is that this miracle is not only to show Jesus' power, but there is a deeper meaning to what Jesus is doing here because it is a blatant statement that Jesus is the Messiah. When Jesus does this, he is saying, I am the Savior. And I want to explain it like this. If you're in your Bibles, look back at Mark chapter 7, verse 32, and specifically underline the word speech impediment, or some of your translations may say, um, you know, hard talking. This is such a unique word in Greek. It's only one word that means speech impediment. And it is so unique, it's only found two times in all of Scripture. One time is obviously here in Mark 7, and the other time is in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 35. So if you want to follow along, leave your finger in Mark 7, you can go to Isaiah 35. Now to give you a little context, in Isaiah 34, the preceding chapter, it is just filled with the Lord's anger and wrath. It talks about how he is enraged against the nations. It talks about how streams will become tar. It talks about generations being laid west, laid waste, excuse me, thorns and thistles just overtaking strongholds. It gives this picture of wild animals just running free and absolutely devouring the land. But then when we get to Isaiah 35, there's this complete shift in tone, a complete shift in tone, where we see that God, even in the midst of all this pain and destruction, will come to save his people. So Isaiah 35, verse 3 is where I'm going to start. And it says, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and with the recompense of God. And then it says, he will come to save you. Verse 5, 
Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer in the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Where it says tongue of mute, that's where that Greek word comes in, the same as what we see in Mark chapter 7. And I love that the ears of the deaf unstopped and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. This was ultimately recognized when God sent his son, God in the flesh, to come to earth to rescue and save his people. We have to see this. There was a greater purpose to the showing of uh, Jesus' power here with this man. It wasn't simply that this man would be able to hear and speak, but it was to reveal that Jesus is the fulfillment of Scripture. Jesus is the one that we have waited for, the one that was to come. Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah. I am the Savior. I am here. I am the one that can heal not just the physical, but heal your heart from sin. That is what he is saying. Jesus is here, and he is the one who can open our spiritual ears to hear the truth of God and to hear God's voice. He is the one who can cleanse people of their sin and open up their lips and open up their mouths to declare the praises of him who has called people out of darkness into his wonderful light. Jesus is showing his disciples and all of us that the spiritually deaf can now hear because I am here, that those spiritually bound in sin can now sing praises of people that have been completely forgiven. That is what Jesus is doing. That is what he is here for. There was a mission behind this miracle. And that also explains this odd thing that Jesus says back in Mark 7 in verse 36. So turn back to Mark 7, verse 36. It starts off and says, And Jesus charged them to tell no one. He performs this incredible miracle, and he says, tell no one. Why would he do that? Because he was here to proclaim a message. And when people just start sharing about the miracles, then it becomes this circus, this freak show, and people are only there to see something spectacular. But Jesus is there to preach the message that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus came to preach the message that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That was his message. So that's why he says, don't go telling everybody because it's going to get crazy. They're only going to want to see something and not hear what I have to say. But it doesn't work out. Because the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And then in verse 37, it says, They were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And I love how this section just wraps up. People are astonished beyond measure. They are blown away. They can't contain their excitement at what? So you see what it says in there? The one who does all things well. And then it wraps it up. He makes the deaf hear and the mute speak again, which is the, the, the throwback to Jesus is the Savior and the Messiah. And real quickly, just wrapping this up, there are three things that I've personally been challenged by in this passage that I want to bring to you too. And the first is this. Jesus valued people in connection over time and efficiency right? Jesus went north only to go south and east. 
Jesus stopped and was very intentional and took time with a man that was all, like often overlooked or ignored. And I think we have to realize that if we're so focused on the destination or we're so focused on what we have to get done, that we may possibly miss, we may possibly miss the opportunities and the people that Jesus sets in front of us. Very simply, what this is, is slow down and be with people. That's the way Jesus lives his life. And I think that's what he's calling us to also. And off of that, we need to be compelled by God's love to engage with those who are different than we are. This man, he was deaf. He was unable to speak, most likely overlooked. He probably lived a lonely life in isolation, yet Jesus was intentional with him. He pulled him aside and connected with him in a way that he understood. So here is a very straightforward question for every single person here, me included. Are you willing to engage with someone who is deaf or blind or someone who has some mental or emotional needs? Are you able to do that? I want you guys to engage with me, so we're just going to let that guy fly by. And we're back in. All right. I want to even ask that again. Are you willing to engage with someone who is deaf or blind or has some type of mental or emotional special need? What about someone who speaks a different language or has a different skin color or doesn't believe as you do? Because think back to this man. Not only was he deaf and unable to speak, he also was most likely not Jewish. He was a Gentile, which means that he didn't follow the customs. He didn't believe the same. He didn't worship the Lord, but yet Jesus engages him. And for me, this reminded me when I go to Costco on Dodge. Anybody go to Costco on Dodge? When I go to Costco on Dodge, I see all these people that are different nationalities and different colors, and I hear different languages. It is not all like the Costco in La Vista. The Costco in Dodge is way different. And I don't know if that's just the time I go, but when I'm there, I have this in my heart that like, I want to connect with them. Like, I want to get to know them, but I don't want to make it weird. And I don't know what I'm going to say. And maybe they don't know English. And I don't know what language they speak. And so oftentimes I don't do it. But it's like I feel this like inside of my heart, which I think is God leading me, but I don't know what to do. But when I read scripture, I see Jesus connecting with different people all the time. And I want to be like that. And I also want you to be like that. The last thing. What I'm challenged by in this is just to pray, but to pray that I also know the sighing Savior for myself, that I understand that Jesus is with me at such a deep heart, soul level, that I understand that he is with me in whatever I'm facing and whatever I'm going through and whatever pain or whatever struggle or whatever hurt, that I know that Jesus is with me so that with the people I'm with, they can see that Jesus is with me so that they also could know that Jesus could be with them. It's praying, God, help me to see you, know you as the sighing Savior who is with me so that the people that I am with, they can see that you are with me and know that you also could be one day with them. That 
is my heart for all of us. We have this incredible Savior, and it's just my desire that we as a church would really understand more who Jesus is, develop that personal um, relationship with him, understand this extravagant love that he's lavished on us, and then we would live that out to the world. Let's pray.